Welcome here. My name is Paul, and today we are starting a brand new series, Money Talks. And I don't know if this season of COVID has been a time where your finances, your livelihood, your employment has been maybe steady. Maybe it even boomed. Or maybe things have been drastically rocked for you. But what I do know is that this time has certainly made things worrisome. I mean, if things are going well, will that continue for me? If things have been going really bad, will that end? Will I be able to recover from this? Or maybe you're hearing we're starting this new series and you're thinking, oh great, another talk about money. Because even in the best of times, talking about money makes people nervous or uncomfortable. And to now have a whole series on it, maybe you feel like, man, this is kind of a punishment. But I promise you, if you stick with me, our time together may be a turning point for you in a lot of ways, including financially. Now, to prepare for this uncertain time and for this series, we're going to make use of some excellent resources from our friends at North Point Church called If Money Talked. It was such a helpful study for me as I was preparing for this series that I will keep coming back to their material because I believe they will be beneficial for us in this series. And today, maybe more than ever, in our life, it is so crucial to figure out how to have a healthy life. Because learning healthy habits and patterns requires work and help, especially when it comes to money. So for the next few weeks, we're not just going to talk about money. So you can just exhale, take it easy. But what we are going to do is let our money do the talking. And no, it's not going to get weird, don't worry. We're just going to kind of flip the script. You see, usually, isn't this true? You're the one telling your money what to do, right? Buy me some groceries money, pay the mortgage, go into my savings. But what if instead we allowed our money to talk to us? What if we invited our money to pull up a chair and give us some advice? <laughs> what would our money say if our money talked. Now the truth is, some of us would probably rather not hear from our money. We already know what it might tell us. It would probably sound like, like a disappointed parent. You know, you know the, this, this line? I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. And for a good reason. Because some of our financial decisions in hindsight, well, they really don't make much sense. And we'd expect our money our money advice to be, well, pretty much common sense. We would expect our money to say pretty much the same things that financial planner would say, or maybe our accountant would say, or maybe a wise parent would say. But what might surprise you, and hopefully pleasantly surprise you, is this. What our money would say matches what Jesus said about money 2,000 years ago. Now, if you grew up in the church, you've probably heard this before. But Jesus actually said more about money than just about anything else. In fact, he said more about money than he did about heaven. Think about that. And he did that not because he needed any money. In fact, best we can tell, Jesus never even asked for any money. He wasn't after people's money. He was after something else. But it wasn't their money. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. 
Now, before we get to the first thing our money might say, I want to ask you a question. I don't know this is going to sound kind of strange, but here it is. What do you do with your spare money? And look, I'm not talking about, you know, the spare change, the quarters, the couple of loonies in your pockets, your spare dollars, you know, the ones, well, the ones you don't really need. This is not a trick question. And if you're thinking, Paul, who has spare dollars laying around? I mean, sometimes I'll spare a dollar for a good cause, but I don't have any extra money. And I certainly don't have any extra money laying around. And technically, technically that's true. You don't have extra money just laying around, but you do have extra. I mean, have you ever taken a vacation? Well, I guess this year it's more likely a staycation, but have you ever taken a vacation in the past couple of years? Do you have a car? Do you have more than one car? Do your kids have a car? Does your car have a little house? Have you ever driven a perfectly good car into a car lot and then left it there and drove away in another perfectly good car, but newer model that you use some of your extra money to purchase it with? How about this? When you went to purchase your current cell phone, did you walk into the store with a perfectly good cell phone in your pocket? Of course you did. You see, people with extra, I, we, don't wait for things to break. We upgrade. We trade things in. Or how about this? Now, don't raise your hand if this is you, but think about it. Have you ever gone into your kitchen? This is kind of personal. I'm thinking about this stuff in my own family. A kitchen that has countertops, a microwave, an oven, a refrigerator, and then ripped it all out and then used some of your spare money to replace, it, to replace it all with new countertops, new refrigerator, a microwave, an oven. Do you have so much spare money that you actually pay someone to keep track of it for you? Like someone else's job is to take care of all your money and invest it so it turns into more extra money. So, I mean, when we put it like that, what do you know? You do have spare money. You just don't feel like you do. And the reason why you don't feel like you do is a word we don't like to talk much about. It's the G word. It's greed. And it's hard to see greed in the mirror. Now, it's easy for me to see greed in someone else, in someone else's mirror, but it's hard for us to see it in our own. In fact, I've never had a conversation with anybody who's having financial problems who said, you know what? My problem, well, my problem is, is greed. Greedy people say things like this. I'm just careful. I'm good money manager. I'm a saver. Again, it's very difficult to see greed in my own mirror. And yet, greed is behind much of our financial struggles. And greed is behind all of our financial stress. And maybe this definition would help. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. And he has such a great way of, of naming these things. You see, you can be poor and greedy, or you can be rich and greedy. Greed has nothing to do with an amount of money you have or don't have. It has everything to do with an assumption about money. So our dollars become things. They become a house. 
They become things in our houses. They become a car. We just consume and consume and consume. Or maybe, maybe we do the opposite. Some of us don't spend any of our extra money. We hoard it. Of course, we don't call it hoarding, right? We call it saving. But the same assumption that drives some people to spend is the same assumption that drives some people, maybe you, to save. Because who are you saving it for? For you. After all, it's yours. Different habits, same assumption. The consumption assumption. And most of us are guilty. We don't feel like we have spare money because we either consume it now, right away, spending, buying, upgrading, or we stash it away in the bank or RSP to consume later. But either way, it's for me. It's for me now or it's for me later. And Jesus says that is a faulty assumption. And he points to a completely different way of viewing our money. And when we begin to view our money the way he does, it changes. Not just our finances. Honestly, it changes everything. It gets us off the treadmill of more, 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 me, me, me. It's completely different paradigm and it leads to freedom, contentment, and ultimately satisfaction. Here's how Jesus introduced this topic. Here's what he said. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. There's our word, greed. He's saying to those of us making the consumption assumption, spending it all, saving it all, assuming that everything that comes to us is for us. He says, hold up, wait a minute. And then he continues and he says, life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Jesus is teaching us such an important point about life. And this is right after he was asked by two brothers to settle a dispute between them. And one of the brothers literally just yells out and says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now that kind of sounds weird to us, but it was really common practice of the time for people to look for settlements from respected rabbis or teachers. But unlike other teachers, we see quickly that Jesus refuses to be mixed up in anyone's disputes about money. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Jesus refuses to be mixed in your disputes about money. We yell out, Jesus, tell my brother to do the right thing. Jesus, tell them they owe me. Jesus, I'm owed this. And Jesus basically calls his brother out and says, stop leveraging me in this way. And then he pauses a moment and uses this opportunity to teach everyone what our attitude should be about the material things. So he tells his great story of a rich fool. And we read, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundance of harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. I mean, I mean, I have all this stuff he's saying, right? I should plan ahead. It seems kind of right that he's doing this. It seems appropriate. It seems like a good thing he should be doing. He's honest. He's, he's planning. So he says, then he said, 
This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, so let's just be very honest here. This actually sounds like a great plan, right? He's thinking ahead. He's saving. He's planning. He's being a good owner of his farm. Why is this a bad example? Jesus continues, But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And I mean, this is kind of harsh. Like kind of, what are you talking about here, Jesus? Shouldn't we prepare? Shouldn't we plan? Shouldn't we have a course of action to take care of things? Jesus is addressing the consumption assumption. The more I have for me, the better off I will be. Jesus is challenging this assumption that lives deep in our souls. And he's rejecting this faulty idea. There are two significant things that we need to notice in the story of a rich fool. That we simply must make clear before we go on. And the first one is this. He, that's the rich fool, never saw beyond himself. There is no parable in the Bible which is so full of words, I, me, my, mine. The rich fool is selfish. He's aggressively self-centered. Greed is his empire. And the number two thing that we should notice, why he's a fool, he never saw beyond this world. All his plans were made on the, ba- on the basis of the treadmill of more, more, more. Me, me, me. And let's be honest. Isn't this the trap we fall into? Don't we say, I just need to learn this thing uh, and then I can just set up my business and I just need to make my fortune and I just need to have this much before I retire. I just need to, I just need to, I just need to. Jesus sharply and strongly tells us that's not what life is about. In other words, life is more than stuff. It's more than our possessions or even our potential to acquire more possessions. And the fact is, most of us, think about this, most of us are going to run out of time before we run out of stuff. We're going to run out of time before we run out of money. We're going to die with a whole lot of stuff left over. Stuff somebody's going to pick through, some of the stuff they're going to sell, and then perhaps just throw the rest away. You see, if life consisted of possessions, we would run out of life the moment we ran out of possessions. And while we know that's not the case, it's so easy to fall into the trap of living as if life is nothing more than accumulation of more stuff. Jesus' point is something our money might point out if money could talk. If our money could talk, it may say something like this, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of your life. I can add meaning to your life, 
but I'm not the meaning of life. Money, your money and my money will remind us that it doesn't get much play at funerals. Does it? Other than how much was given away. Earning money, chasing it, spending it, that's not the point of life. Money is not the meaning. And this is where we're going in this series. It is a means. It is a tool for doing something meaningful. It has potential to make your life meaningful. Imagine if that was the framework, if that was the frame of reference for your finances, every spending decision, the way you save, the way you plan for the future, regardless of how much or how little you have. What if you had some to spare? What if you had some extra and you thought to yourself, wow, holy cow, I have extra. How can I make this extra a means to something meaningful? How can I make it a means to an end that goes, well, that goes well, beyond me? What would it look like to live free of the consumption assumption? Instead of making every do- dollar that comes uh, your way a means to something newer, shinier, or maybe renovated, what if you begin to view your money as a means to make your life more meaningful rather than just full of stuff? Now, if you've been thinking this way for the past 10 years, your personal finances would probably look very different. You would have less stuff, but you would have less debt. You would have more margin. And here's the big part here. Here's the big one. You would actually probably have more savings. And we'll talk about that later. Now, all of us make financial decisions based on some assumptions whether we've ever stopped to identify those assumptions or not. And since your financial assumptions govern the way you manage your personal finances, you should know what those assumptions are. Don't you think? So through this series, this is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to challenge ourselves to discover our consumption assumptions. We will take a closer look at what Jesus says about how we should view and handle our money. Now, I need to warn you, you might have to make some adjustments. You might even have to break a financial habit or two. And if that scares you, it shouldn't. Because no one, no one who applies what Jesus says about money, no one who applies these ideas to their personal finances ever regrets it. Their only regret is they didn't start sooner. Besides, you can't be fully devoted follower of Christ and not invite him into the realm of your personal finances. Christ can't be the Lord of your life when you've got him on one side saying, here's what I want you to do, and you have your MasterCard on the other side saying, yeah, but let me tell you what you have to do because of what you already did. And be honest, you felt this tension before, right? You feel like God is nudging you to be generous to your local church, or maybe to a local charity or a community program. But before you can find your checkbook, the MasterCard starts nudging you in the other direction. The money is already spent. Or once you find your checkbook, you find yourself hesitating to add that extra zero. Because, well, just because. You feel generous, but you can't be generous 
and you can't seem to make yourself be generous. Or in some instances, you just won't be generous. And why? Well, because you have fallen victim of the consumption assumption. So this is really big deal. This goes way beyond realm of personal finances. This is about who's in charge of your life. It's about whether your life will simply be full of stuff or perhaps full of meaning. In this way, financial issues actually become spiritual issues, don't they? What do you do with your money is an indicator of who and whose you are. So where do we go from here? I'm so excited to tell you that here at Circle, we're starting the money course. We have partnered with CAP, which is Christians Against Poverty. They're an excellent organization that believes that we can eradicate poverty by using the money we have as a tool that works for us as a means and not the end. This money course will help you come to grips with all your consumption assumptions. Whether you have much or little, whether you're a saver or a spender, this course is for everyone. We'll be offering this course online. So you can do it in the safety or in comfort of your own home. And it will be launched on October 21st. Please see the link to register. Now, make sure you come back next Sunday. And we'll be talking about one more assumption that most of us make when it comes to our money. It's one that we keep getting wrong. And it may be the one that keeps getting us into trouble. Luckily, it's an easy fix. But for now, what is your money telling you? Would you join us next Sunday as we look at another assumption?